If you've ever fallen in love with a new home, you're going to love today's guest because she does it over and over and over again. Mindy Jensen has been buying and selling houses for more than two decades now. She's famous for the live and flip. That's live in and then flip all at the same time. She buys a house, she moves in, she makes it awesome, and then she sells it after two years to take advantage of the Section 121 capital gains exemption. She's currently working on her 11th flip. It's almost a dozen. She's got two kids, 12 and 15. By the way, they, her and her husband, they all live through this all the time, over and over and over again. Yeah, her kids get annoyed going from this amazing place that they just sold to a place that needs a ton of work. But her bank account's awfully happy that they made the move. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. So I can't wait to talk to you about real estate. I've got a hundred questions, Mindy, and Good. I want to die. Answers. Yeah, you. How many answers do you have for that? A thousand. Okay, there we go. See, that's why you have a, a highly rated. Like the, it's not just a highly rated podcast. It's like one of the biggest podcasts in the world, isn't it? I mean, you're like second to Joe Rogan. <laughs> Joe calls me for advice all the time. We're besties. Mindy, who should I have on the show? But seriously, Bigger Pockets, the money podcast for Bigger Pockets, is it's it's enormous and it's one of the best podcasts there is. You you were early. When was your first year in podcasting? My first year with the Money Podcast was 2018. Okay. So you're 2018, and how did they bring you it? Like how did they grab you into the fold? I said I want to do a podcast. The uh, I was the community manager for biggerpockets.com and I was in the forums all day every day and I kept seeing this question pop up, how do I get started investing in real estate with no money and bad credit? And my first thought was you don't get investing in real estate with no money and bad credit. What a terrible way to start investing. Let's fix your no money and bad credit situation first. So that inspired the money podcast. Let's get your money in order. Let's get your financial house in order so you can start investing in real estate from a position of financial strength. You're providing housing for somebody. You need to be able to fix things when they break. And it's going to break. Spoiler alert, real estate, as soon as you close on the house, something breaks. And I like to say the cost of that repair is inversely proportionate to how much money you have in the bank. You have a big emergency fund, you're going to need like a new light switch. You have no emergency fund, you have no reserve fund at all, you're going to need a new roof, a new furnace, a new air conditioner. You're going to need a lot. So you need to be investing from a position of financial strength so you can provide housing to people that are paying you money to provide them with a roof over their head. You're 100% right. My first big home purchase really stretched me on my down payment. And I remember putting, having very little money after the closing. And 
the with within the first couple weeks, my first like nice fancy refrigerator gone. Right. So done. How much is it? It was like five at the time, like five grand for a fridge. This is a long time ago. And then the air conditioning went out and all in the same, all in the first month. Yeah. Yeah, You're right. Inversely proportional to what I had left in my, in my account. So let us talk about real estate. And then I'd like to talk about the real estate market because it is, there's so much change that has happened in the last year with rates, mortgage rates, what it costs to buy, which impacts everything. And maybe you agree with that. I don't know. Maybe you don't. And I just want to start with, A, you're a real estate agent by trade. And the way you do this, you'll buy a place, fix it up, live in it, and then you'll sell it or flip it. Just what is that like? Because that's kind of been a dream of mine. If I ever, if I, if I was fully into real estate, I would do, I would like to do it the way you've done it. It is a lot of fun. But sometimes my kids can be embarrassed because we live in a dump and they don't want to bring their friends home to this crappy house. Mom, why do we have such a terrible house? We used to have a nice house and then we moved. Um, So that part makes me sad because they don't realize that I'm making a lot of money from this. But, you know, they they don't see that money because I'm doing the work. It's my money. I'm making the money. By the way, Um, how old are your kids now at this point? They are 15 and 12. Guys, yeah, that's the perfect time to be like, mom. Like, yes. I'm, mom. And it's really, nobody in America, here's the other thing. Nobody ever wants to move to a lesser house. I do. Except for Mindy. <laughs> yeah, I always move to a lesser house. And then I make it gorgeous. And then I sell it after two years. The two years is very important. Because why do I do this? Why do I go from a beautiful house to a garbage house? Because I... I make a lot of money and I pay zero taxes on that money. It is called the Section 121 exclusion. And the IRS said, hey, Mindy, thanks so much for making this house better. Up to $500,000 of your gain will be excluded from capital gains taxes. That's our gift to you. And I said, well, thank you, IRS. I really appreciate that. That's because I'm married. If I was single, it would only be $250,000. So I'm actually hoping that I have to pay taxes on my flip that I'm in right now. So you will look at, are you already looking for the next property? Because if you already, this looks like a, a nice house, if I can see from your background. But so you've already fixed this one up. Yes, we have a couple of projects left, which should be done by the end of this school year. And then what's been the geography, by the way? How big of a circle or radius are you are you looking at? Ooh, so we started in Illinois and then we went up to Wisconsin and now we're in Colorado. Wait, so you're really looking at really for the very, very, very best renovation type deal. Uh, or let's no. see. When we were in Illinois, we didn't have kids, so it was like whichever suburb of Chicago we found a great deal in. Um, When we moved to Wisconsin, we thought we really wanted to live in Wisconsin. Wisconsin actually has high property taxes, and when we finished renovating that house, we are like, wow, our property tax bill is like a mortgage payment every month. This is so expensive. They were $17,000 a year. Um, I'm not sure what property taxes are where you are, but my current mortgage payment is my old monthly property tax payment. 
And then I had mortgage on top of that. Well, we so because you're the big suburb and it's just super expensive. And now you're in, where are you in Colorado? I'm in Longmont, Colorado. And Longmont. we have uh, surprisingly low property taxes on residential real estate in Colorado. Okay, so kid, I wanna almost visualize I would suspect over the years you've gone from lower priced houses and you've gotten maybe spent more and more a as prices have gone up at what, where are you now? Are you at the most expensive you've been housing wise or no? No, I actually uh, have gone back down. So the first house was, uh, it was a condo and it was $50,000 and we made it up to a $500,000 lake house that we sold for 750 or 775 we came back down to a property that we bought for $175,000 um you went from a $750,000 lake house to a $175,000 house two bedrooms one bathroom total dump uh it was beautiful when we sold it we sold it for uh almost $600,000 whoa yeah we added a second story and just it was we improved it greatly, but also we bought in 2013 and then had all of that price appreciation, all of the market appreciation. Um, we sold it in January of 21. Okay. And then this is and then now you're in your new place. Now I'm in this new place. I purchased this for $365,000. We've put about 100000 into it. And this exact same model, about six houses down, sold in the spring, that crazy spring selling season, for $850,000. So this may be putting your 121 capital gain exemption to the test. I might Hopefully. have to pay taxes. And I happily will because I exempt, I'm still exempt the 500,000. Sure. But then if I make more than 500,000, I'll have to pay taxes on that. Oh. You know what? That's okay. I'm willing to pay my fair share of taxes and I'm willing to not pay the ex exempted amount. Yeah. And then, and then above that, it's long-term capital gain. So it's a pretty low rate anyway. Exactly. What about, how do you find these houses? And have you already started looking for your next one or not yet? Like where I are you going next? It. Are the kids in school? Do you kind of have to stay near Longmont? Uh, boy, this is, there's so many special circumstances surrounding my particular situation. So I'm going to say, if you are considering doing this and you do have kids, you should look within the same school district if that's something that's important to you. If you don't have kids, if that's not important to you, if your kids are graduating and then it doesn't matter, then, you know, it doesn't matter. But in Colorado, we are a school of choice state or a school of choice. We're definitely a school of choice city. So I don't have to be in any particular district in order to send my kids to that district. As long as there is space for them, they can go. And then every year they're just automatically in. So they're both oh, so in Oh, so once school. they're in, as long as there's room, they can stay. Correct. So you can be on the other side of the city and go to a school that is 20 miles away. Normally, you wouldn't be in the district. And all of Colorado is like that. I didn't know that. That's cool. I believe all of Colorado is like that. The front range definitely is Yeah. on okay. the eastern side of the Rocky Mountains. Um, so you've got that flexibility. That's very, that's interesting. Yeah. So I have a lot of flexibility. I actually have found my next property and we purchased it in June because it happened to be an off-market deal. So I am a real estate agent. I sold a house to friends 
in my neighborhood. And then they started talking to the person who was living next door to them. She was a 94-year-old woman who was getting ready to move into assisted living. And she just had a house full of things. And her children were spread out across the country and couldn't come help her kind of sort through all of her things and what stays and what goes. Um, So we made her an offer. We will take whatever you want to leave. You don't have to go through it. You don't have to donate to the Goodwill or anything. You can just leave whatever you want in the house. You can take whatever you want. And on the day of closing, we will just assume that all of this is ours to do with as we please. And that made her, like that That solved a problem for her. That took a big big burden off of her shoulders. So we came to an agreement on price. We closed on the house and we started renovations a couple of weeks ago. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't work for our family currently. Mm. So it's kind of a weird house. It's just all one big room with bedrooms right off of it. instead of like down a hall or upstairs. So there's a lot of sound that kind of travels in weird ways. It would be great for just my husband and I to live in or my husband and I and one child, but two children and us, and it would just be a big loud mess. So we have decided to turn it into a medium term rental until we are ready to move into it. It's a ranch. So as we age, we'll be able to live there and not have to worry about stairs. Um, the current house that we're in is a split level, so there's just stairs all over the place. Well, so the, the other thing here is that I know that you've done a lot of these move, upgrade, renovate, sell, move, upgrade, upgrade, renovate, sell, which is the live-in flip, but you still have a bunch of properties though, right, that you're renting. Don't you've got what, co-working space? Don't you have like a caboose? The mobile home park. I mean, don't you have a couple other things still where you're getting rental income? I did have a mobile home park. We actually ended up selling that. Um, got the years run together with COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Either in January of this year or January of last year, we divested ourselves of that. Um, right now, we have these two properties and we have several syndications, but we don't have a lot of properties that we are renting out currently. But now being an agent though, how much of your focus is I'm an agent so that, and I have a bunch of clients or is it, that's just part of it and you're always looking for the next property or is it a lot of time being an agent? Being an agent is a lot of work. So I am, and in the spring, it was a lot more work. Everybody wanted to get into properties before the interest rates went up. They wanted to get in because everybody else was doing it. My phone was like ringing off the hook. Um, I don't like bidding wars personally. I want to buy a property that nobody else wants. So that makes my offer a lot more attractive when your property has been sitting there for a long time and nobody wants it. And all of a sudden, here I come here, I will give you money for this house that nobody wants to give you money for. That in itself is attractive. So you don't really fall in love with these houses. It sounds like you're much more, I would say, quantitative about this. You're not saying, oh, I love this place. It's you're, This is more formulaic for you? When it comes to purchasing, I mean, as soon as I walk into a house, I love it. Every single house I love. 
um, because I just love real estate. But yeah, I don't want to buy a house unless it makes financial sense for me. I'm going to be making money off of this house. I've heard a lot of people in the personal finance world say your primary residence is not an investment. And maybe yours isn't, but mine sure is. If I have to live, I need a place to live. And you know that's great, but I'm absolutely going to make money off of it too. Here's the other thing that I think that you communicate so well, uh, better than anyone I've ever talked to about. We think about real estate. We think, oh, well, we can do this formula and we'll do a cap rate of my rental divided by my price. And this is a pretty good deal. Uh, or we say, my, I'm going to buy it for this. I'm going to put this much into it. What you communicate so well is to do real estate right. And 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 I almost think, and this is, it's going to be a rhetorical question about rates because knowing how you do real estate, it almost doesn't really matter because there's so much sacrifice when it comes to real estate. You've got to be will, you have to be willing to go from this place all the way down to this place. You got to be willing to sacrifice and do all that work to get it up to speed, renovate it, live through it. And the, the story about you buying that other property, you had to be willing to take on a kind of this, look, you didn't want a house full of furniture. How do you get rid of it? You keep taking on these things that maybe nobody else wants to do. And it takes, it's work is really what the, the theme here is that you do work in real estate. Yes. It is work, but it's not super hard work. I don't have to move all the furniture. I can hire somebody to do that. Yeah. Or I can have a, hey, let's everybody help Mindy move all of the furniture out of her new house. And by the way, do you see something you like? Go ahead and take it because I don't want it. So you're you're always seeing the market because you're in real estate. The I guess I would just say now, for most people, if you're a first-time home buyer and you're just looking for a home to, to buy forever, right? The numbers are pretty dramatically different, right? If you if you did a mortgage calculation in January and you've taken until now to buy, it's not a little difference. It's like a, it's a whopping payment difference for most Americans that are saying, hey, I'm just going to finance this thing. It's like a 60% increase for a lot of people. Yes. What do you think that does to the general market? And what are you going to, what do you think is going to happen just to real estate in general? So my day job is at biggerpockets.com and we have a data analyst who is absolutely brilliant and he has done a lot of research into market trends and market information in general and he, the, he has shared with me that he believes the inventory is 4 million housing units short right now. And the economic law of supply and demand says that when supply is low, prices go up. When demand is high, prices go up. We have both high demand and low supply. So prices are going to go up. Just because interest rates have gone up doesn't mean that demand is going to stop. Now, demand has fallen in a lot of places. I'm in Colorado. Demand has fallen dramatically. There is a lot more opportunity on the market. But there's still, prices haven't collapsed. This isn't 2008. All the people that are out there saying, oh, it's 2008 all over again. I'm just going to wait until prices fall again. Prices aren't going to collapse like they did in 2008. That was a different circumstance. That was a different um, Supply-demand dynamic, right? It was, so we were overbuilding for a little while there. 
way overbuilding, extending credit to people who had no business having credit. But then that's, you know what, you just hit the nail on the head. We were overbuilding. In 2008, we stopped building. 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013. When did they start building in your area? 2014, maybe 2015. I mean, what is that? Like eight years of not building? Yeah. And that again has come back to dramatically impact the housing market, right? It was we underbuilt for forever. We're still maybe not even building as much as we need to build because now the sentiment of builders, they're getting nervous about higher rates. So they're, they're backing off. Exactly. If you look at all of these uh, building, like the subdivisions, they are offering to buy down your rate. They're offering, uh, they're, people who are signing contracts are being locked in. They, it says, no matter what the rate is, you can't cancel this contract due to the rate. Um, or you can and you lose your earnest money. I mean, there's, there's always that option. But builders are pulling back on building. And yet we're still 4 million housing units short. So in the spring, just like last spring, people were signing contracts with builders and builders were saying, oh, okay, now uh, supplies have gone up. Your contract is now v- invalid. It's going to cost me $30,000 more to build this house. If you'll pay me $30,000 more, I'll rewrite up the contract and you can still get in. Otherwise, I've got a line of people who are waiting to pay $30,000 more for this house. So what do you do? Such an incredible market. Hey, y'all. It's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is going to pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com. So really what we could see here then, I guess, Mindy, is you could see the demand, let's say, for housing slow, less people buying less transactions But at the same time, housing prices may stay relatively stable. Maybe they fall a little bit, but even though we might have less transactions and less people moving, it doesn't mean you're going to have to see huge price cuts when it comes to homes that are actually getting transacted. I was speaking to another agent and she said, the way she phrased this was so interesting. She said, if you drew a line from January of 2021 to now, it would be, you know, up and to the right. But then you have this huge hump in the spring of 2022 that kind of gets cut off by this. We're still seeing this same price trajectory. We're just not seeing this giant hump from the spring sales. So I think that that's pretty accurate, especially where I'm at right now. I'm not seeing prices falling back to January 2021 pricing. When we're looking at, so we, we talked about this, it, it takes some effort. Maybe work is the, maybe the wrong word, It's but you've got to take some effort. It takes a lot of energy to do what you've done. What are the sneaky expenses, like the refrigerators, that, that my story, the AC, but what are the sneaky expenses that a lot of people just kind of, they, they don't think about, they forget about? 
Remember my story about my property tax bill being equal to my mortgage payment? Yeah. Property taxes, I think, are the number one thing that people don't consider when they're looking at houses. Oh, the house costs $300,000. I will buy it. They don't realize that property taxes may be going up. They're probably going up. They're most likely going to go up as soon as you buy the house. And the property taxes that are being quoted in the MLS are last year's taxes based on the valuation from whenever it was sold and you know the mill levy and yada, yada, all sorts of weird real estate terms. But when it gets sold, that's the new value. So those go up. You could have purchased from a senior citizen who has senior citizen discounts or somebody who has homestead exemptions. There could be all sorts of funky tax things going on. And then you buy this house, especially as an investor, all of a sudden you're like, why are my taxes twice as much as I thought they were? Another thing is buying a brand new house. When that builder buys that land, it is considered unimproved. And until that house sells, that land is taxed as unimproved property, which is like $4 a year. The tax rate is like- Ultra low rate, yeah. It's ridiculously low. So you go into your purchase with this $4 a year tax bill, and then it's instantly (laughs) jacked up. Your mortgage is absolutely going to go up year two. Your mortgage company is going to call you and say, there's an escrow shortage because your property taxes are actually $2,000 a year or $8,000 a year or whatever it is. If you've got some weird taxing district, they could be even higher. So that's something that you need to ask your real estate agent about. What are my taxes going to go up to? You know, take it upon yourself to do research into this so you're not surprised, especially if you're like Wes and spent all your money on your house and your house poor with your first one. Yeah, it, it, it's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be. It really is. It sounds like you've loved this process. And how you, you've done what? How many of these? Has it been a dozen yet? How many houses? I, we just bought the 11th. Okay, so you're almost at a dozen. Almost a dozen. All these years. So I know it's kind of, it sounds like it's mostly fun, but has there been some things that are are rough? Like what's the, has there been something that is not good? I mean, it hasn't been all sunshine rainbows, has it? You're going to give me heart palpitations remembering this house. Oh, good. Okay. So what, I want to hear heart palpitations. I bought a house in Wisconsin that had a brand new roof. And then we ripped off that roof and added a second story. And we did this on a Friday and the builders diligently put a tarp over the roof and then they went home. And this was in like 2007, this was 2007 because my baby had just been born. She was four months old and Saturday the rains came and they were, it it didn't just rain. It was a uh, 500 or thousand year flood. And of course the winds came up first and shredded the tarps. And then it started pouring inside. There was no roof. It was just plywood. And it started raining inside my house. And there was one place that I could put my brand new infant baby in the middle of the bed that wasn't getting rained on. But it was raining through the light fixtures. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. You were in the house? I was. It's a live-in flip. You got to live there. But even when they take the roof off? Yeah. It was like the summer. We still had, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't wintertime in Wisconsin. You know, it's funny. I think back in 07, it's almost like right before we had iPhones were prolific. 
right? So you didn't like check the weather every 10 minutes. Like here, it's like, <laughs> hey, there's a freeze warning coming tonight, or it's going to be really nice tomorrow. We didn't quite do that. Like your roofers didn't do that, did they? No, they didn't. And we actually discovered this website called Wonderground, Weather yeah. Underground. Yes, I, lo- I use it every day still, yeah. Well, at that time, I don't know if you can still do it, you could watch the waves come in and this one's red, which means really heavy rain. Here comes one that's purple, which means ultra super really heavy <laughs> ultra rain. Ultra super really, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, you're like, what am I going to do? We had buckets and bowls and everything all over the house. And there was no sleeping that night except the baby in the middle of the bed with the one place that wasn't getting wet. And it was just heartbreaking to go through this the entire night. And what do you do? You don't leave and go to a hotel because then everything's ruined, but you stay there and you're just frustrated and sad and angry. And they offered to replace all of the insulation in the ceiling. I'm like, well, thanks. So the house, they took off the the tar shingles and the rain just came right through all the insulation. Did it ruin the house as well or did it not quite ruin the house? It didn't ruin the house. We okay, were able to goodness. dry it out. Um, okay. We didn't have mold Another fun issues. process. Yeah. Let's just dry this place out. <laughs> yeah. How long did that, how long did that take? Yeah. We did have a lot of buckets and bowls everywhere. So there wasn't just standing water all over the floor and every towel was used. And, you know, we, we were diligent about running all over the whole house all night long. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was one of the worst nights of my life. So the, and then what did you end up selling that house for though? We sold that for about seven fifty, seven seventy five. So that was a really good one. That was, that was an okay one. We bought that house expecting to sell it for a million dollars. And we sold in 2012 when nobody was buying houses. And um, I'm sure it's now worth a million dollars, but just leaving it. And that was the house that I brought my babies home in. And that was the house where they took their first steps. And that was going to be really awesome. But it was also easy to leave that house. Um with the, with the, the memories. God, I'm getting hot. (laughs) It does get emotional. Housing is so emotional and so complex. There's so much that has to do with your family relative to the home. All right. What's the best? Give me a, what upside surprise have you had in doing this labor of love? We sold the house before the one that I'm in right now. We bought it for $176,000. We sold it for, $598,000 six years later. So it's a triple. Yeah. Well, we put about a hundred into it. Uh Um, we, it never rained in the house. (laughs) So that was awesome. Um, a lot of good memories in that house. It was, of course, I mean, there's a lot of work involved in this. We do. Oh, did I tell you we DIY most of the construction? No. Okay. So I thought that you would hire all these people and you'd have like a, first of all, I was like, when is your TV show going to happen? <laughs> because really they should just be following you around with the camera. Really? I don't know. You're doing this for real I life. Agree. Are they, they ta- are you talking to the networks right now or no? <laughs> no. Not yet. All right. So, so you should be doing a TV show as well, but you paid 175, put in a hundred, sold it for almost 600. Did you add a bunch of space or just make it look amazing? Uh, both. We added a second story 
And that's something I don't think we're ever going to do again. That's just a lot of work. And that part we do hire out. We hired somebody to build the structure, to put the roof and the siding on, install the windows, that kind of thing. And then we finished off the inside, the flooring, the painting, the tiling, the inst- like the installation of the bathrooms. So you and your husband, though, when you say you're DIYing this, like you're actually doing the floors, you're doing the really anything that's not crazy specialty, right? Um, even a lot of stuff that is crazy specialty, we do. Uh, my father, my husband's father was an electrician. He ran all of the electricity over there, but my husband did all the plumbing for that house because plumbing is not that hard. Mm. Step number one, turn off the water. And step number two, test to make sure that the water's turned off. And then, you know, <laughs> number run the three for away. me, call a plumber. <laughs> like, <laughs> or uh, call a plumber. Um, a lot of times it is difficult to find a contractor who will yeah. answer their phone. Um, when they do answer their phone, they're not available until, I don't know, 2050. Uh, <laughs> so and true. So true. it will cost $50,000. You're like, well, but it's, $27 in parts and three hours worth of work. What do you mean it's $50,000? Um, so many times it is easier to just learn the skill than it is to find somebody who can, who already knows the skill. So true. I've been thinking because I've, I've been, one of my mistakes in my most recent house is an outdoor grill area that they convinced me could be wood because it had a cement top and it was, should be sheltered from the wood. And the wood is going to be, you know, warp proof and it's great outdoor wood totally wrong the thing within literally the first month warped so badly i couldn't even shut the doors so they're like oh we're so sorry we'll 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 redo this they redid it and we put five layers of you know of sealant on it and then another month later same thing totally expanded cracked but done so now i've been spent i've spent a year getting a a contractor to try to do this. And it's, it's very hard. And I keep thinking, I really should just do it myself. It can be frustrating to work with somebody else. I mean, and how frequently are they available to come and work on your house? They've got other clients. Yeah. Well, never when I'm ready, like when, how are we going to get this done? <laughs> oh, we'll get it done in a month. It's been almost a year. Um, I, let me go back to this with rates super high. The way you do this it really doesn't seem like it matters that much to you, right? Do you even, do you get mortgages on this at this point? I do because, well, up until recently, mortgages were at two or three percent for sure. an owner occupant, and I live in my home; it's my primary residence, so I qualify for an owner occupied loan, which is less than an investor loan. Um, I only have to put down as little as 3.5%. I usually put down 20% because I don't want to pay PMI or private mortgage insurance. But there are a lot of, there are a lot more options for owner occupants than there are for investors. And there are a lot more lower down payment options available for owner occupants. So uh, that's what makes the live-in flip such a fantastic option, in my opinion. And a live-in flip doesn't mean that you have to do the work yourself. My, I prefer to do it myself, but you can hire that out and it still qualifies as a live-in flip. But with rates, we didn't actually get a mortgage on the other house. We borrowed from a line of credit against our after-tax stock portfolio mm-hmm. because rates were so high. They were 5% back in June <laughs> when we bought it. And uh, now they're like eight and a half. And I really wish I would have gotten a mortgage. 
But at so, the time, my line of credit was 1%. Yeah, so really, either way, it would have been a higher rate. Well, no, I guess if you had gotten a mortgage, you could have locked it in, but... I would have uh, locked it in, but yeah. yeah so and, and the 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 pledge the some sort of like a pledge asset line or something is is probably floats with wherever rates are, so it's gone up. It's now it's up to I think four or four and a half. Yeah, it, uh, the, a lot of those asset lines have done that. But let's maybe talk about so I guess if you and to some extent I think you kind of answered this is if if you're looking to buy a house really just for life and not do a live and flip, if you think, look, big picture, 4 million homes underbuilt, big picture, sure rates are higher, but prices should stay relatively steady and still over the next several years, probably go higher. You would still encourage someone who's looking to buy a house to go ahead and do it now? Or would you, would you tell them to wait a little bit and, and rent? I would say if you are looking to buy a house, now is a great time to start looking. Contact a lender talk to them about your options for lending. And a lot of lenders aren't going to know what it is that you want to know. So ask a ton of questions. Here's a word called recast. Ask if your loan can be recast. And what that means is they take your uh, your essentially the amount that you owe and they just apply a different interest rate to it. Typically lower, you're not gonna ask for a recast for a higher rate. Um, but if you have a property that you find now that you love now, get into it now. And then when rates come back down, if your loan can be recast, ask them to recast it. So you're paying less. You're getting in right now when nobody's looking at properties. And then you have the option for the lower payment later. Um, ask about refinancing. Is there a rate and terms refinance that your loan is eligible for? I don't think that's available on conventional loans, but I'm not a lender. So definitely talk to your lender and just let them know that you're concerned about rates. You're not the first person that's going to be asking them this. You're not going to be the last person that's asking them this. They probably have a lot of options available at least a lot of suggestions. Also right now, and this has been the case for several months, the jumbo loan and the conforming loan interest rates are inverted. Usually a jumbo loan is a higher interest rate than a conforming. And sure. this changes depending on what county you're in. I'm in Boulder County, which is typically a more expensive county. Our jumbo rate is, our jumbo loan starts at like $647,000. So that means any loan that you're taking out that's more than $647,000 is eligible for the jumbo loan rate. And I have a client getting one right now. It's something like 1.7% lower interest rate than a conforming loan. That's kind of fascinating. That's very interesting. If you go back over all the years and think about the improvements that you've done to homes, and the changes and the updates, what do you think moves the meter the most, Mindy? The kitchen. This is, I actually really like this, this question because it's such an easy one to answer. The kitchen sells the home. Yeah, um, and of course, like updated in every way is best, but that doesn't mean that you have to do absolutely everything. If you've got a house that you want to sell, 
And you're looking at it, you're like, wow, these old oak cabinets have been here for 20 years with those same brass handles and that ugly laminate countertop and those same old 30-year-old light fixtures. You can switch out a lot of things for a lot less than just a complete kitchen redo. Get a new countertop. I mean, even a new laminate countertop that's in a granite pattern looks better than the old 1987 laminate countertops of our childhood. Um, New handles can freshen up a look. Paint your cabinets. You could paint. I've seen a lot of oak cabinets that are painted that cost a lot less than completely redoing all of the cabinets. It still looks way better to take these older oak. I mean, oak has fallen out of favor. It used to be like the most popular wood and now it's not. So paint them white, paint them gray, paint them green, paint them whatever color looks great (laughs) in the home. But having a fresh looking kitchen is going to sell your house more so than old and outdated will. I, th- I think about looking back when I was looking at houses, you, you go through and you say, oh, that kitchen's updated. That's amazing. And then you look at the bathroom and it's it's like from the 1970s. You're like, oh, I can deal with that. I can deal with that. But I can't deal with a terrible kitchen. If you're, yeah. unless, again, unless you're Mindy and you're willing to renovate and that's what you're going to be doing. What about for retirees? So again, we're the Retire Sooner podcast. We have people that are trying to either retire young or even these are, let's say folks that are in their, 50s and 60s. What about making a place more livable? If you're, let's say, if you're not a 35-year-old retiree and you're in your 60s and your 70s, do you have any thoughts on if we go into retirement to make a place more livable or or for the long run, if we're going to age there over time? So this is actually a really interesting problem that I think we're going to be facing with people who are in their late 50s, early 60s as they start to retire. Maybe they've lived in their home for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, yeah, 20, 30, 40 years. And think back 40 years ago, how much were you paying for a house? Like $25,000, $30,000? You have had such price appreciation, which is awesome, but- You also now are looking at uh, paying taxes on your house when you sell it because and because you've hit that five hundred thousand. If you're married, you probably have overshot the two fifty. If you're single, Um, and the five hundred thousand, perhaps you're a a widow or a widower. That only the five hundred thousand carries over for two years after your spouse passes. And oh, then so you, so you lose that exemption if your spouse passes away after two years. Yeah. You lose that exemption. That's and then you've got even more taxes that you're owing, which is, again, I mean, that's a great problem to have, but you're not going to be able to go buy another house for $40,000. You sell yeah. your house. Let's say you sell your house for $500,000. You're buying a smaller house for what, four fifty? dollars I mean, you're still going to be spending almost the same amount. It could not make sense to buy another house. It could make more sense to just stay put. Stay, okay. But, and this is happening to a woman in my neighborhood. She is, oh gosh, she's probably in her 90s. She's one of the original owners in this neighborhood. And she is not in great shape. She lives in a house just like mine, a split level, and there's no bedroom, there's no bathroom on the main level. The bedrooms and bathrooms are upstairs or there's a bathroom downstairs. And if you're not doing well with with stairs, having to go down the stairs to go to the bathroom all the time is going to be difficult. So 
you know, look at places you can add a place to sleep and a, and a bathroom. Yeah. So Matt, get, try to space. find a master on the main level. Mm-hmm. What about an elevator? It seems like super expensive. Is that crazy? <laughs> Is that crazy? In this particular layout, I'm trying to think, where would you even put an elevator? I don't think it would work. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, I'm trying to think the laundry is in the basement. We moved ours up to the very top level because that's where all the bedrooms are. So where is your laundry? And then if you are considering retiring and you are looking at houses, look for a house that has all one level living so, or is easily changed to all one level living. So laundry, kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, you can have other things on other levels, but you need those things on the main level. Where is the garage coming in? Do you have to walk upstairs or downstairs to get into the garage? That might not be the best layout for you to retire in. Yeah. Think about it. The renovation over the next decade, it will be more and more and more of that. It really will be. There's no, just demographically, America will need that. And it's a lot easier to spend $30,000 to get a bedroom and bathroom installed on a main living level than it is to move out, pay the capital gains taxes, buy a smaller house for the same amount of money. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. If you Again, if you can find a contractor or, it's, or you're doing DIY, which hopefully you're doing this before while you're still young enough <laughs> to DIY. Well, what about, so what if... You've been in this place forever. You're tight on cash. Your income level is not what it needs to be. What is your take on reverse mortgages? Oh, well, are you sponsored by a reverse mortgage company? No, 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 Good. My opinion of reverse mortgages is that they're a huge scam benefiting no one. And the person who invented them should be drawn and quartered. And the salespeople who are convincing elderly homeowners to take them out should be shot. Ooh, okay, let's hear it. So you, you see these commercials with what, who is it? It's like Magnum P.I. is doing the commercials. He's 65 oh, now. Oh, really? Oh, come on, Magnum. <laughs> what do you expect? I mean, <sighs> but tell me why we don't want to do one of these reverse mortgages. I've never advocated for it at all. And, and I know they're super expensive. And don't I don't know a whole lot of folks that have done that. But what, tell me your experience and why they're so terrible. So I don't personally have any experience with them. This is just, I had somebody come in and uh, give a presentation about reverse mortgages and he keeps talking about them. I'm like, this sounds horrible. This sounds terrible. Oh, you can get money from your house. I'm like, well, what happens when you pass? Oh, well, you can just pay it off or sell the house. Okay, I don't have money to pay off the house or I wouldn't need to take out this reverse mortgage in the first place. There's really high closing costs with this uh, type of loan. If you, let's say you and I are married, Wes, and you take out this loan and I'm not on this loan. Mm -hmm. If you pass away before I do, I could be evicted from the home because you're the one who has the mortgage, not me. Yeah, there's so many weird loopholes to it too. You're right. And that's why there's a lot of disaster stories around it. It's super expensive. You're right. And usually people that are doing it, they're already in kind of a tough position. And then they're essentially, well, they are mortgaging. They're using leverage. And it just, I can just see it going wrong very, very quickly and very, very easily. Well, and when you are closing on this deal, you are 
presented with like a inch thick stack of paperwork. Are you reading it? No, you're not. Nobody ever reads all of those documents. But like you just said, there's a lot of loopholes and a lot of really weird circumstances and none of that benefits you. You don't sign an inch thick of paperwork in something that benefits you. Yes, you're getting the money, but then you are signing away the equity in your home, you're signing away, like this could be the house that you raised your kids in. They could be counting on this to raise their kids in or not even knowing that you're taking this out. And then as soon as you pass, here comes the mortgage company. Okay, get all your stuff out because now we own this house. It just doesn't seem to be a good idea. It's you, You're preying on people who don't understand what's going on. There's a lot of like double speak and salesmen garbage and the people who sell these make high commissions to push this on you. And I just think that it is, I think it should be illegal. You know, it's funny. You don't see the people, these, these nice old people with silver hair getting evicted from their homes in the commercials. Do you? (laughs) You don't put that in the commercial. All right. (laughs) Here's a fun topic. And this is one where I've just never had a great answer for this, Uh, but I have an answer, but I don't think it's the greatest answer. And after COVID, it's gotten even harder because here we are and, and every state's got their vacation places. In Georgia, it's the mountains. We don't have a whole lot of coastline. We, have a li- we actually have a little bit of coastline, um, but those houses are ultra expensive. We have, we have a couple amazing lakes, not big, so not a whole lot to choose from, so super expensive. Uh, the question I, I I will frequently get is about the second home. Hey, I want we're thinking about a second home. We're thinking about a vacation property, and it's fun to think about, but it's maybe hard to execute. Number one, and number two, do you think people was there a ton of vac- vacation home buying during COVID? I think that there was because so many people had money and no place to spend it. They kept saving their money. They weren't going out to, I I don't know how much people were spending beforehand, but all of these people all of a sudden were sitting on piles of cash and there was a lot of purchasing being done during COVID, even in non-vacation rental areas. Um, I live in the front range of Colorado. Our mountains are our uh, vacation destination. And yes, those prices went up, but all along the front range, they went up as well. People just wanted to buy a different house, a better house. They needed more space. They were moving from a condo to an actual house. They were moving from apartments to condos because they needed a place to call their own. They needed more space because everybody was working from home. Um, and just if we're all working from home anyway, why don't we go someplace that we enjoy? Why don't we get out of the big city? I know a lot of people in New York City fled the city for a long time. Rents actually went down in New York City during COVID because so many people left. Um, it was like the the epicenter of COVID for a while. Yeah, so, yeah. so people went, instead of spending so much money on this 300 square foot apartment, they could spend half as much and get seven times as much space if they went to Atlanta or, you know, other places. So I do think that there was a lot of buying going on during COVID and it's still, I mean, even this, this past spring, it was still going on. Yeah. I wonder if there's going to be an opportunity in the second home market. I I think time will tell, but I do wonder if there was a little overbuying of the second home, does it get used as much as people think they were going to use it? And I wonder maybe next summer or this, I, again, I wonder over the next year if there'll be some softness in the second home 
vacation market or maybe not because that's a population that had plenty of money to go buy. So I don't know. I would I would think the second if you have money to buy two properties, if you don't use the second property so much, you're not going to be quick to just dump it for the first offer that comes along. Yeah. You might yeah. sell it, but you're not going to do so in a way that that makes you lose a lot of money. You know, I want to ask you about uh, two more questions. I want to ask you about lenders. You know, I've been seeing, I don't know if it was some sort of, one of these stadiums is a, a maybe it's a like rocket mortgage stadium. I don't know if it was like Monday night football or something, but I've started to see mortgage company ads get a little more creative around, if your rate drops, then we'll call you to refinance or... <laughs> Well, thank you. Or just, <laughs> I was with some mortgage folks uh, the other day and I was asking, hey, do you have any of the old mortgages? Do you have, did you save any of the three percenters? Do you have any of those left in the drawer? <laughs> I'd like one of those. What, what do we do? Like, how do you find the right lender? I think that too many people focus on the rate and they don't focus on the service or the ability to close. Even more so in the past, in the spring, um, but definitely going forward, you need a lender who does what they say they're going to do and can close on time. And the first person you want to ask about a lender is your real estate agent. I'm out there closing deals. Um, at one point, I was closing one or two a month, and I had two people that I would send you to. Talk to this person, talk to that person. I think you should talk to both. I think you should run their numbers. I have had great experiences with both of them. I don't love the online lenders. The experiences that I have had is that the uh, the salesperson or the, the mortgage broker or the service person that you are working with is frequently not there at the end of your deal. They mm. There's a lot of turnover and then you have to explain the situation again to somebody else. You have to go through all of this again. It can, it can be difficult to get a deal to close. Now, I have heard from people who have had great experiences. I'm glad that they have. I prefer a more local lender. And I have got I have a guy, he's at a credit union locally. He can close. I was talking to him this morning. He can close my, my guy that I'm writing an offer for today. He can close in 10 days. Like, Wow. That's awesome. He's already pre-underwritten. My client is like super qualified, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, there's He got him all the information that he needed. But yeah, absolutely. Ask your, your real estate agent. Ask your friends too. Who did you use when you bought your house? Oh, I use Bob over at Bob's Mortgages. He was awesome. Yeah. Great. Call him up. Yeah. But then when you are ready to sit down and get quotes for a loan, call everybody on the same day. Mortgage rates are changing like even intraday changing. So you want, if I call you today and I call somebody else next week and I call somebody at the end of the month, I'm not going to get the same quote. Oh, Bob's the best. Well, maybe Bob's not the best. He's just had the best price on the day that you called. So I think it's really important to call all of the people that you're going to call on one day, get their rates, get their quotes, compare them all in a spreadsheet so you can compare apples to apples and then choose based on the rate, the closing costs, how you like that person yeah. and who recommended them. Yeah. How good they are to work with is a big deal because it gets complicated. Uh, the, and I guess the other, the other thought here would be that when you say local, you're talking about 
someone in your city at a credit union, at a bank that you could actually walk into or, or a mortgage company versus when you say like an online lender, is that like a rocket mortgage? Is that an online lender? Rocket Mortgage is an online lender. I'm trying yeah. to think of uh, who are these other online lenders. I don't want to name names and like. But as it, that's good. So an example, like a, a Rocket Mortgage is a big national online lender as opposed to your local credit union. That's a, a huge difference between the two. Yes. And uh, my other lender was um, their license in all 50 states. They do have physical locations you can go into. I was actually working with somebody who was located in California. But since the company is licensed in all 50 states, they can write loans in my state as well. And they were amazing for a VA loan. They could close in 17 days on a VA loan, which is unheard of. Um, yeah, it VA is loans. It's so cool. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. They usually take like 45 days plus and, you know, then they're calling up for an extension. Um, they were really, really great to work with. Yeah. So uh, spend, so the takeaway though here is spend some time to find a lender before you're out shopping for a house even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, so final thoughts. I feel like I'm ready to go live it and flip, live it, even though I'm not very handy. I used to be, and I've kind of just gotten worse over the years. <laughs> You don't have to be handy to be a live-in flipper. You can hire out jobs. You can do the jobs you like and hire out jobs you don't like. Do your research and be honest with yourself. How much money do you have to put into something? How much time do you have to put into something? Can yeah. you live in a construction zone? I mean, I'm living in a construction zone. There's drywall and nails and tools everywhere. And every once in a while, it's like, you know what? We're going out to dinner tonight because I cannot handle making dinner in all this mess today. And, you know, how much can you handle? It's kind of like second nature to me now, but it can be kind of stressful to live in flip. It doesn't have to be, you know, the worst thing in the world. Always keep a, a room where you can close the door and just get away from it all. An untouched room. And that can change as you're, you know, touching rooms, but always keep an untouched room so you can just relax. But yeah, real estate is an excellent investment class. It really is. It takes some effort. It takes, it takes some effort. effort. Yeah. What kind of money can you make with no effort? Yeah. It's un, it's, it doesn't happen. Not in, not in America, not anywhere. If it could, if it could happen to be in America, but not anywhere, <laughs> particularly not here in the United States. The, uh, Mindy, thank you so much. Mindy Jensen, you are the host or the co-host of one of the, the coolest, biggest podcasts, the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. And it sounds like you have a really like fun life. You get to do podcasts. You're the community manager of Bigger Pockets. You're a real estate agent. You're renovating places all the time. It sounds fun. It sounds like that sounds awesome to me. My life doesn't suck. It, it, is, like it is a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, Mindy, thank you so much for being here. Wes, thank you for having me. This was one of my most favorite episodes ever. Oh, you probably say that to all the hosts. I don't. I don't. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at wesmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure.
This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.